0: Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you never let go of us. Your faithfulness is throughout all generations. You see us, you know us, you're the God who sees, you're the God who takes care of us. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you have um, given us eternal life, you've given us forgiveness of sin, you've given us protection, Lord. And you guide and direct our lives. And Lord, we are forever thankful to you. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And Rick will give you a Bible. And children are dismissed to Children's Church. All righty. Praise the Lord. We're looking at an amazing passage this morning. The passage on the Lord's Supper. Now I don't. I've never. I've never. I've never sat in a church service where it was actually taught through this portion of scripture. But many of us are familiar with the Lord's Supper. That you go to church and you take the you take the the wine or the juice, and you remember the blood of Jesus. Um, his blood spilled for our, forgiveness of our sin, and you remember his body delivered on the cross, and we partake of the bread. But we're actually coming this morning to the passage of scripture that deals with the Lord's Supper. And, we, and theologians believe that the book of 1 Corinthians was actually one of the first books written in the New Testament. So the passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning is actually um, the very first documented New Testament book, uh, books or passage written on the subject of the Lord's Supper. This passage was written... Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians was written before the Gospels. And that might explain why we're going to see in this passage that the Corinthians were all jacked up. They, they, they were all messed up. And throughout this letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul is correcting them and correcting them and correcting them. But remember, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he's correcting them on the, pa- on the meaning and how to partake of the Lord's Supper. So we're we ready to dive into what the word... Now, I could go into... What all the different beliefs are, consubstantiation, transubstantiation, but I'm not. I just want to simply look at what the text says on the Lord's Supper. And let's believe what we read in Scripture and not depend on traditions and and philosophies, but just simply go with what the Bible says. Can we do that? I think that's the best way. Would you agree? Let's just go with what the Word of God says. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray one more time. Father God, thank you for your Word. As we get into it now, Lord, I just pray, God, that you um, strengthen our hearts and teach us more about the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Now, we're going to do service a little different this morning. I'm going to teach on this passage on the Lord's Supper. We're going to finish the sermon. And then, after I close my teaching, we're going to have families go together to the tables to get their communion and... Families go take communion together. You can do it in a corner, you can do it in your chair, you can do it wherever. So I want to teach you what the Word of God says on the Lord's Supper, and then we're not going to pass the, um, the crackers and, and, and the juice. We're going to let you come partake of it on your own as we play a worship song. Amen? All right, let's dive into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17-34 through 34, says this, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that division exists among you, and in part I believe it. For there must, there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among, the, among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? with well, the exclamation, verse 22, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Look at what he says. In this, I will not praise you. As I said, they were, they were messed up. They didn't have it all together. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John like we did. And Paul is going to now give them instructions on the Lord's Supper. This Lord's Supper has been taking place for 2,000 years. It's one of the earliest documented practices of the New Testament church that we see in, in ancient history, in ancient writing, in archaeology. Um, for 2,000 years, Christians have been partaking of the Lord's Supper. It's very holy, it's very much of you dedicating your life to Him in remembrance. And you know, there's a Jesus said in Luke twenty two, nineteen, he said, Do this in remembrance of me. So we do it, we remember it with our mind. But also I believe equally the word of God teaches that there's an intimate moment when we partake of communion. What does the word communion mean? It means fellowship. It means coming together. It's like when you sit down with a family and have dinner. You're interacting, you're getting close, you're having fellowship, you're meeting and greeting and getting to know one another. And the same thing happens with the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit when we partake of communion. It brings a closeness. That's why it's so important. Amen? So here at the church at Corinth, they were facing divisions, uh, they were were facing uh, fractions, and in all honesty, from what it says in the text here, what it looks like to me is, there was just a total disrespect for the Lord's Supper. So Paul is coming in like the man, and he's going to lay the wood and say, no, this is how you do it. This, this is how you do it. And, and, I, and I love the way he does it. He does it gracefully, poignantly, and says, this is how the Lord's Supper is to, partake, to, be, to be partaken of. How many of you can remember your first communion? When you were a little child, do you was you, did you fully explain it all? Did you understand it? I didn't. I remember when I got saved, and I was like partaking of the Lord's Supper, and I was like, okay, I'm doing this because the Scripture says, but I didn't understand it. It's important that we understand it. It's important that we engage God with our, not only with our hearts, but with our minds, and that we have a good understanding of the Lord's Supper. So let's, let's look at uh, verse 23. Uh, verses 17 through 22 was the situation going on with the church, their, their present state. Now he's going to dive in to explain to them the Lord's Supper in verse 23. Let's look at it. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. Now the first thing I saw when I read this text, I couldn't help but to think, what was that night like? What was that night like in that upper room with Jesus and the disciples? What was the air like? What was the the atmosphere like? Put yourself, here we go, put yourself in their shoes, okay? For three and a half years, you've followed Jesus of Nazareth. You've watched him feed the 5,000. You've watched him raise Lazarus from the dead, You've watched him change, turn water into wine. You've watched him perform all these miracles, heal the sick. You're like, this, the kingdom is coming. See, in ancient Israel, they were looking forward to a future kingdom. They were looking forward to a Messiah coming and establishing his kingdom. And the disciples, in their minds, for three and a half years said, we found the Messiah. He's here and he's going to establish the kingdom. We're no longer going to be under the tyranny of Rome. And we are rising to the top. But then if you go back and you look at this look at this in, John, in John's gospels, John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, is his discourse in that room. And listen to what he says in John 16:16. 16, 16. He says this to his disciples. Remember now, they're pumped. They're pumping their chests. Who's going to sit at the right? Who's going to sit at the left? And he says these words in the upper room. He says, a little while you will see me no longer. What? A little while you'll see me no longer? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. This ain't what we signed up for. And then Jesus starts this death talk. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. He starts talking about the Holy Spirit coming. What? You're here, Jesus. What are you talking about? This Holy Spirit. You got to understand their, their hearts were rattled. Because they, they were like, this is the Messiah, this is the kingdom. And now he's saying, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, and I'm going to die on a cross? They, their hearts were rattled. John chapter 14, verse 1, what did he say to them? Many of you don't know this verse. Do not... He, he, we. We talk, we, when we use that verse today, we're talking about heaven, which it is talking about heaven. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. But John chapter 14, verse 1, you've got to remember, it was originally spoken to the disciples. And he tells the disciples, hey guys, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes on to say, you believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. But he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Their hearts were rattled. They were shaken. They were scared. It was dark. It was all fixing to break loose. The, the worst nightmare was fixing to take place. The, the Jesus that condemned the Pharisees and, and, and told the woman who was called adultery, go and sin no more, you're forgiven. The one who, who was forgiven was fixing to be going through a 24-hour period of being crushed. So what does Jesus do bringing us back to our text this morning? He brings the disciples together for communion and fellowship in what we know as the very first Lord's Supper. The word the word communion means closeness and fellowship. When you have dinner with someone, you have you have communion with them. You have fellowship with them. You come together with that person. You get to know them. So the very first thing, the very first thing that we see in the text this morning from the Lord's Supper is this is the Lord's Supper is designed to bring you into a place of intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's the design. It's not to be done ritualistically in ritual or tradition. It's meant to be a holy moment, an, 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 an intimate moment. Amen? So, that's what, so let's look at verse 24. Verse 24 continues. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The first thing here it says in verse 24, it says, This is my body. We've got to understand, sometimes it just skirts our minds, but we've got to understand the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, but what did he do? He laid down his physical life. It was his physical body that he laid down and went to the cross for you and me. So that's the first thing that we need to remember in, in, in the cross and in, in this communion. Isaiah 53.5 says this, But he was pierced through, talking about his physical body, his body. Isaiah 53.5, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings we are healed. So the first thing in the Lord's Supper we see here is, is we remember what his body experienced. We Remember, he was beaten, he was crushed. I think Mel Gibson did a really good job in The Passion. Of all the movies I've seen, he did a very fine job of portraying what the Gospels teach. He he took a shellacking. And notice, this is so important. Look at verse 24, halfway through it. This is equally important for you this morning in 2017. It says, this is my body, which is what? For you. We need to understand at the Lord's Supper that this sacrifice was for you. Randall, you can say, He did it for me. Every single person, you can say, you, all of you, you, me, and his omniscience, me and God, he had you inscribed upon the palms of his hands for you. And he did it for love. He did it for love. God did what he did at Calvary for you in love. What does Romans 5, 8 say? But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in the Lord's Supper, we, we remember that his, his body, and at the same time, we remember it was his great, it was the Father's love to bring us back into a right relationship with himself. Look at verse 25. It says, In the same way he took the cup, also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me the third principle i pull from verse 25 is this and when we partake when you partake of the lord's supper you remember the high cost of salvation you know salvation is a free gift for all except one except one person, except God. It cost him his son. It's a free gift for all. It's a free gift to us, but it cost him his son. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Blood had to be shed. In the Jewish mind, these disciples with their Jewish background, this would take their minds back to the Passover when they were in Egypt, when the blood would be applied above the doorpost before the death angel came through. And wherever the blood was applied to the doorpost, those homes, those children would be spared from the death angel. That's what it took their minds back to. And it does the same for us today. It's by his blood that we're forgiven. It's by his blood that we're exempt from God's wrath because of his shed blood for us. In the Jewish mind, in the minds of the disciples, in the minds of the early Christians of the Jewish, this would have taken them back to the Day of Atonement remember what happened on the Day of Atonement? They go, the, go to the tabernacle, go to the temple. They bring two lambs. The, the priest would come up, lay hands on one, confess the sins of Israel. That was called a scapegoat. It would run off into the wilderness, symbolically taking all the way of Israel's guilt. As far as because the scripture says as far as the heavens, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far as he removed our sin from us. But what happened to the second goat? What happened to the second lamb? It was sacrificed. It was sacrificed in the tabernacle. Its blood was shed, and the blood of the Lamb was taken into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it was, it was taken into that holy place and put over the Ark of the Covenant, actually into the actual very presence of God. That blood was, was sprinkled over, over the Ark so that their sins could be forgiven. The, Jesus, at the Lord's Supper, holding up the cup, saying, this is the blood. It brought back all kind of imagery. But ultimately, they knew what the Old Testament taught, which was without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. Blood had to be shed. And then what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Everything in the Old Testament, all the sacrifices, everything, it all pointed to Christ. It all pointed to Jesus. It was all going towards him. And, when, and, and here, here it is, my friends. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, when you partake this morning, you understand that Jesus is your Passover lamb. That his blood has gone into the Holy of Holies and made atonement for you. You know, there's, there's one Bible verse. I'm so thankful for that. There's one Bible verse I disagree with where Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners if you knew my past, I I look back at all my disobedience, I look back at all my rebellion, I look back at all my sin, and I'm like, it's covered under the blood. It's covered. I'm forgiven. There is therefore, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I don't care where you come from, I don't care what you've done, I, I don't care how great a sin it is, it doesn't matter, whatever it is, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ you're forgiven you're forgiven and you can walk in that freedom and at the Lord's Supper we remember that we remember that we remember the high cost of salvation and we remember we're forgiven by his blood amen amen verse 26 verse 26 for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here we have another aspect of the Lord's Supper. Here we see in the Lord's Supper, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, we're looking to the future. We're looking to the future. Now, in the Jewish mindset, they were always looking forward to the kingdom. They were looking forward to the second coming of Christ, him establishing his millennial reign. And, and, but what do we look forward to? What do Christians look forward to in the Lord's Supper? The rapture the rapture of the church where the you know and when we believe in the rapture and we hold to the rapture you can find it in first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 where it talks about it one day it's a promise of god that will come to pass one day the set in the future the lord jesus christ will leave a place called heaven he will come back to earth and the rapture will take place and he will remove believers and take them to a place called heaven that is the promise of the word of God and when we we partake of the Lord's supper you know as we're partaking of it it should help us to have an eternal perspective it should help us to have an eternal perspective and we we look at that the the juice and think about the blood and we think about his body and we say I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with my Lord and Savior so there's an eternal perspective in um, the Lord's Supper. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, if you want to um, look it up later, but it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And it says, So shall we be with the Lord forever. So when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're looking forward to the future. W- one day, this remembrance will end and we'll be in his presence. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, verse 27. So let's look here. We, um, we see in the Lord's Supper, it's a reminder of what his body experienced. We see in the Lord's Supper the high cost of salvation, which was Christ's blood. And then we see in the Lord's Supper an element that when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're looking forward to the future. You're looking forward to the future. Let's look at the next one. The next one, this deals with our heart. This deals with our heart. Look at verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Unworthy manner. What is he talking about? Blatant disobedience. It's that heart that's bent. On, I'm not. am not going to do. it. I don't know why they would take communion in the first place, but it's that heart that's just bent away from God. It doesn't mean you're not struggling. It doesn't mean you're not in a fight. It doesn't mean you're not you're not going in the right direction. But it's that per, it's, it's that willful person who takes no meaning, who who does who does nothing to think about its true meaning, but just kind of goes through it just for whatever, for whatever purposes. Uh, another one, which I believe is more applicable, is ritual. I believe doing it ritualistically is, is taking an unworthy manner. Doing it out of a ritual means not engaging your heart, not engaging your mind, not being thankful. It's just it's this. It's, here it is. When I say going through a ritual, it's going through the motion without Emotion, you know, it's okay to have some emotion in our Christian walk. It's okay to say, "Lord Jesus, I love you, I thank you," and let it flow from our hearts—our thankfulness to Him, our gratitude to Him—and and and just let it thro- come from our hearts and not get into tradition and ritual and just going through the motions. Let's let it get to the heart. So, the fifth thing I see in the Lord's Supper from this this verse right here is this. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, make it real, make it real, make it real. Engage your heart, engage your mind. Uh, tell him how thankful you are, and, and understand what's 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 partaking of it. And notice in verse twenty-seven it says, uh, "He says, whoever does it in an unworthy manner, it says, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord." When a, not. You're not disrespecting the Lord's Supper when you do it wrong. According to this, you're disrespecting Jesus. You're disrespecting God himself. And we don't want to do that. We want to do it his way and do it the right way and do it in response to everything he's done for us and everything he's taken care of us for all of his faithfulness from Calvary till now, everything he's done throughout our life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's look at uh, verse 28. A lot of times I'll, I'll, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, if you're at Calvary Chapel, I'll say, hey, you know, um, let's have a word of prayer. And if there's some things that come between you and the Lord, um, bring it to His throne of grace. The Bible says, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. And even Christians sin. Okay? Even Christians sin. Pastor David even sins sometimes. And I have to bring my heart to his throne of grace and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it with that bad attitude, those words I spoke, those things I did. I bring it to his throne of grace. And this is where we get it from, where it says to examine yourself. Verse 28. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, and, excuse me, Verse twenty-nine: For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. Um, as I read this text, my mind, in the Jewish mind, I would go back to the Passover. What? How long did the Passover last? Seven days. What were the Israelites commanded to do on the first day? They were to go throughout the house and do remove, r- 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 remove the yeast. They were to remove it from the house, to cleanse the house from all that, because that was a symbol of sin back then. And today, we are commanded to examine our hearts and and examine our life and say, God, is there any disobedience in my life? Is there anything I need to bring to your throne of grace? So we're commanded to do that in Scripture. Uh, We're commanded to do that in Scripture before we partake of the Lord's Supper, Very, very important. You know, I like to ask myself, partaking of the Lord's Supper, my heart fights like y'all's. Things try to command my attention. Things try to draw me away from my first love. I know it happens to me, but when I partake of the Lord's Supper, one of the things I'll ask myself, I'll I'll, I'll talk to God about is this. Is there anything I love more than you, God? Is there anything I value in this life more than you? And nine times out of ten, The Holy Spirit will start presenting pictures of things I'm putting before Him. And what do I do in that moment? I bring it to His throne of grace. And I return to my first love. So there's an element of grace in the Lord's Supper that we need to partake of. There's an element of grace of bringing closeness back to the Lord when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Amen? That's so important. Is that not what it's all about? I talked about when I first started my sermon this morning. I said, is it not all about growing in our relationship with God? Growing in our relationship with Jesus. Growing deeper in the word so we can grow and mature as believers. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Verse 30. We'll wrap it up here. Verse 30 through 34. It says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you sleep Sleep was a euphemism for death. They brought judgment. Whatever they were doing, ever how they were partaking of the Lord's Supper, irreverently, not doing it right, they were bringing judgment. And Paul says, you know, this is why I'm writing to you. This is why the very first doctrine of the Lord's Supper was written here, is because they didn't have it right. He said, he said you're not doing it right, and I've got to correct you. And this is how you do it. In verse 31, it says... But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. What he's saying there is simple. Take care of business. Take care of business before you, before you partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a very holy moment, and we need to take care of business with God and bring things to his throne of grace. Verse 32 through 34. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. One of the early practices of the New Testament church was called a love feast. And many times, and churches still do it today, and we're going to have some of those meal gatherings too, is they would come together for a love feast, where they come together for a meal. And then after the meal, they would partake of the Lord's Supper. And one of the problems in the churches was they were getting drunk and they were coming intoxicated irreverently to, the, to these, to these feasts before they were partaking of the Lord's Supper. So Paul gives us instructions. Um, it's a very holy moment. It's um, a moment that, uh, that brings us back to our base. Brings us back to our base with the Lord. Amen? All right. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to close service now the uh, the lights will go down we're going to play that song God of Calvary and what we're going to ask you to do is families you can come up to the table grab your juice grab your cracker then you can go off to a corner you can go back to your seat you can go wherever you're most comfortable and let the families partake of communion as a family amen so let's pray Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Lord's Supper. Thank you that we remember your body. We remember your blood. Lord God, forgive him for us. We look back and we remember. We remember what happened at the cross. And think about how awesome you love us. Then we look inside. We examine our hearts to see exactly where our heart is. And then, Lord, we look forward to the future one day we will be with you in your kingdom. So Lord we love you and we praise you and Father as we partake of communion now let it be a holy moment let it be a not a religious moment not, a, not, no, not religious not ritual not tradition but just heartfelt thanks to you for what you've done in our hearts and lives in Jesus name we pray Father Amen We'll have a song and y'all can just come up and get your um, elements together and partake of it as a family.